You're listening to the Boozeworks Podcast. This podcast is a service of Boozeworks Consulting, a full-service craft alcohol consulting firm. And now the host of the Boozeworks Podcast, Devin Mills. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Boozeworks Podcast. I'm your host, Devin Mills, and this is episode number eight. I had a Twitter conversation a couple weeks back about three chambered stills, and I figured, hey, why don't I take that conversation, bring it over to the podcast, and let everybody kind of join in on this. Just as, I guess, as a note, if you follow me on Twitter, we well, we talk a lot of sports, but we also talk a lot about beer, wine, spirits, that kind of stuff. Yeah, so definitely give me a follow over there, uh, at Distiller Dude. So the first question pretty much everybody asks at this point in time uh, is, what is a three-chamber still? They've basically vanished from uh, the U.S. landscape, even though they were fairly common at one point in time. The design itself started in the U.S. about 1850. Uh, Originally, these stills were made out of wood. Wood stills were very common in the U.S. There are a variety of types of them, uh, mainly because copper was almost impossible to get over here. A 30-gallon still could cost as much as a 200-acre farm. So uh, wood was very common. As the metallurgical practices became common in this country and copper prices came down, we started seeing these stills converted over. Uh, Generally speaking, I wouldn't recommend you guys looking at a wooden still at this point in time. It's just kind of a fun little historical oddity. Most of the knowledge we have right now of the history of three-chamber stills uh, comes from the IRS. They used to be a slightly different organization, and they published a lot of surveys of the industry. And so the uh, 1898 IRS survey actually went out and looked at how people were making whiskey in this country so they could understand it for taxation purposes. At that point in time, 81% of the rye distilleries were using this three-chambered still. All the bourbon distilleries were using a column still, continuous still. But rye, for some reason, was made on a particular type of still. And a lot of that has to do with what they were trying to do with rye. Once Prohibition hit, three-chamber stills basically died. Seagram's and Sons was still using one uh, as late as 1943. And then recently there's been a bit of a callback and these stills are starting to pop up a little bit. We've got one here in Denver. Uh, I know of at least a couple other ones that are being used throughout the country. Seagram's was using theirs a little bit differently from some of the records I can find from earlier in that they were using it primarily as a stripping still. They called it a charge still, didn't even refer to it as a three-chamber still. So why was this 80% of rye distilleries using a totally different still than what the bourbon manufacturers were using? We know that column stills are the most efficient way to produce large amounts of booze, but we see people who were using this even, you know, as late as the 1940s. There, there had to be a reason. And from what we can tell, a lot of the reason had to do with it passed along more flavor. When you do direct inject steam into your boiler, uh, you actually can create a lot of aldehydes. Now, we know that the aldehydes are created in there due to the Basically, it's a, an oxidation process, and we can do the, the chemistry work that shows that they were not created in the fermenter, and yet spontaneously they are coming out the other side of the still. That's actually kind of a, a cool thing that we're creating new chemicals. Now, it's important to note that when those aldehydes are then heated even further, you know, particularly when uh, a three-chamber still is used as a stripping still, and then we're going to go over to a finishing still by not injecting steam. And the second time around, we're able to actually cut the, most of those aldehydes out and only 46% of them end up making it into the barrel. This has kind of changed the practice around these stills in modern times. We see a lot more people who are using them today 
using them instead of as a stripping still, using them as a single run still. By having longer run times, that steam gets in there, we're able to oxidize and create the aldehydes, but then we're able to further oxidize them and break them down into acid. So then they're created, destroyed, and for the most part, acid is left behind uh, in our pot ales. Very little of it is actually pushed through the still, uh, but we get a lot of flavor along that way. Uh, one of the other big benefits of this still design is you can't burn your grain. Uh, American-style whiskeys obviously are mostly distilled on the grain, and so when you're using a direct-heated still, it's very easy to go past caramelization and start burning those grains. When we're using a direct-inject steam still, or for that matter, a steam coil still, you can't really burn the grain. And so these stills are designed to basically move grain in and not damage it in any way. When these stills are used in a single distillation process, typically what they are is we have our three chambers. That three chambers are followed by a thumper. The thumper kind of appears throughout American distillation technology whenever we get into these more pot styles. And certainly a, a three chamber still is in the pot style. It's kind of a pot continuous hybrid, but it's, it's definitely in the pot style. When we add that thumper in there, we can get 69% ABV off the end of the still. We're getting 70% alcohol here. When we're using it as a stripping still, we're still getting that 69%, but when we put it in the finishing still, we're typically only bumping it up from 70 to 75%. Really at that point in time, we're focusing more on, you know, removing the aldehydes that we've created and doing a, a good kind of polishing strip to make sure that we're only passing the flavors that we want. We absolutely see people just taking that 70% alcohol off of the, the three chamber and running it right into a barrel. That's a good thing because it really helps our efficiency. And efficiency is the biggest problem with these stills. They are poor at best. Uh, typically, we're only going to get about 70% of the alcohol you put in the still out the other side as hearts. We're going to do a lot of recycling in these stills. And so the alcohol kind of rolls back through the process. It's not really wasted. But at the end of the day, we're just not moving, you know, 97% out like you would with a continuous still. When we follow those up with a second pot still doing a finishing run, again, we're seeing 68, 69, 70% efficiency. So, you know, 70 and 70, we're just not moving a lot of the alcohol out. That's tough on your pocketbook. The good news, you're moving a lot of flavor. You're creating a lot of flavor, which is why we start seeing craft movements coming back to this. What exactly is a three-chamber still? It starts off exactly what it sounds like. They're basically three chambers stacked on top of each other, and then each chamber feeds its vapor up into the, the chamber above. Uh, this is similar to you know thumper design or a plated still design. Where that really differs is that in a three-chamber design, we do not allow the reflux to flow down into the chamber below it. So we're going to push vapor up. It goes through what's kind of called a J-pipe. And there's a couple different configurations of these J-pipes. But they're, they come up above the liquid level, curve over, and then drop back down so that all the vapor basically condenses and is forced into the level up on the still. This is then bubbled up through the uh, liquid in that chamber, collapses, pushes up more volatiles to the next level. Because no reflux is allowed to drain back down, the bottom chamber basically gets completely stripped of alcohol. We only see, you know, a half percent of alcohol in that bottom chamber when we drain that pot ale out, you know, to go use as our sour masher just to the drain. Uh, so the good news is we're moving a lot of the booze from the system. The bad news is it kind of stays in the system. When we're looking at these 
economics is really your your biggest challenge. And so we need to make sure we're not building so small that the still can't be economic. Uh, what I see is really about a 63-gallon chamber is the minimum where you can make any money. So that's a 63, 63, 63. Typically, when you're running these, you're going to end up getting about 90 minutes per operation stage, which is basically draining a chamber, refilling it, moving on to the next stage. So we're going to be running six operations in a nine-hour period. That'll move enough alcohol through at our low efficiency to get one barrel. Now, if we're going to then take that and put it over into a finishing still, 63 gallons isn't cutting it anymore. We actually need to move up to 93 gallons to make up for that loss in the, the finishing still. It's very important when you start looking at a new still design that you're actually looking at how you're going to use it, not just how it functions. We need to make sure that if we're going to be using a three-chamber stripper, we design it as a stripping still rather if we're using it as a single pass still. And so that's where minimums of 60 versus 90, well, build a 125 and hey, you got everything covered. Uh, and generally speaking, when we're working with 60-gallon batches, your fermenter is going to be larger than that anyhow. You know, so you're going to have a 60-gallon chamber, a 90-gallon chamber, you know, in reality, what we're going to be looking at is you're going to have a, you know, a 300 gallon fermenter. And so it works out well to have, say, 100 gallon chambers and the fermenter gets drained in three successive batches. And then your next fermenter is ready to come in. Uh, if you're doing two fermenters a day, that's a great way to go. Like I said, it, with a single pass still, it's about 90 minutes a stage. So we're going to do six stages in a day. So it's important to kind of size that, size your fermenters based on that. If you want to do a 600-gallon fermenter and then do one fermenter a day, that, that's certainly a viable way to, to run through this. Uh, when we talk about this, I like to do it a little bit differently than what you're going to see uh, in the literature. I like to number my chambers from the bottom up. It, it's kind of easy for me to think about one is where you start, vapor flows into two, flows up into three. Traditionally, they were numbered in the opposite of that because they were looking at the wash. Wash starts in one, flows into two, flows into three. Uh, it's just how you think. Uh, but for today, we're going to make sure bottom is one and then climbing as we go, help keep things straight. Uh, originally, these designs were tapered, and tapering isn't really practical with our modern uh, manufacturing processes. So instead, what we do is make the chambers taller. Bottom chambers are going to be a little bit taller than our than our upper chambers. Chambers one, two, and three need to have dome tops. That way, we can funnel all the vapor up into what basically is a short line arm into the next chamber. You know, the J pipe is as sometimes it's called. From there, what we're going to do is then look at that J-pipe design, make sure that it flows up above the liquid leg in that chamber, and then back down into the bottom so that we get the full height to bubble everything through. This is a three-chamber still, but in reality, there are four chambers. You can go back and look at some of the old drawings of this still, and in some cases, it really is only three chambers, and the fourth chamber is completely non-existent. Again, to help try to make these stills a little bit more efficient, the fourth chamber was incorporated later on, and most late designs will have a fourth chamber on top. Uh, basically, what the fourth chamber is, is it is preheating the, the beer before it comes down into chamber three, and it's there to help cool the vapors, give us a little bit more reflux before we move on to the thumper. Uh, chamber four can either be designed as a tube and shell or as a traditional worm. Both of them work great. There really isn't any expansion 
Uh, we're not boiling that that liquid by any stretch. And so we can just build it as a simple, in this case, let's call it, you know, 63 gallon chamber. I like the worm design. I, I find it very intuitive. Building those tube and shells can kind of be a pain sometimes. So I typically use a worm design up top. Down there, we're going to do a drain. I guess quick note for you guys building these stills. Uh, I like all my drains external. That way the valves are easy to work on and change. We don't have to worry about leaks inside the still that we can't see. Uh, so external valving on all these drains between chambers. Chamber three is going to be our first distillation chamber. It's actually the most complicated out of the four chambers. And the reason it's complicated is, first of all, we've got to accept liquid from chamber four. We've got to be able to pass liquid down to chamber two. We also want to accept the leftover liquid from our thumper. So we're actually going to have a whole bunch of holes in chamber three. Uh, we also need our viewports in every single chamber so we can make sure you know how full they are. When we're looking at sizing this still, I've just kind of run with the, the 63 gallon minimum. It doesn't really make math easy, but it kind of shows you what the smallest still you could build or should build is. So first of all, we've got our 63 gallons that we're transferring down from chamber four. Then we're going to bring over 10 or 11 gallons from that thumper. So we need a total liquid volume of basically 73, 74 gallons. I went with 74. With this still design, it's very important that we try to get relatively square chambers. That's going to allow us to pass that heat into them more efficiently and decrease our surface area so we're not losing as much heat into the room. So I would design a 63-gallon still to be about two and a third feet in diameter. Uh, and like I said, I'm not going to taper this stuff. It just makes it way too hard to build. So chamber three ends up needing a 27, just shy of 28 inches of liquid height in this in this chamber. And then proper design of a three-chamber still has eight inches of headspace on top of that liquid. That allows us to get kind of a little bit of reflux in each chamber and then a domed head on top of that. So at the end of the day, we're going to have uh, 36 inches in chamber three before we get to our, our domed or dished head going up the what I'd like to call the line arm. It's really a J-pipe, but in case I, I'm not paying attention and use the, the correct terminology, line arm J-pipe or the same thing. On this size still, we don't want to force any reflux in our line arm. So we're going to use large pipe, six inch pipe rising up from the center of that dish. This is going to create absolutely no back pressure, create no reflux. Everything passes on, moves on to the next pipe really easily. Once we get up above the liquid level in the previous pipe, so this is inside chamber three, we've got a six inch pipe coming up from chamber two. Uh, once it gets above that 27, 28 inch mark, then we're going to split it into four one and a half inch pipes. These pipes then will drop all the way back down to the bottom of the chamber. And typically I like to use a real simple serrated bottom on these pipes. It helps create smaller bubbles, which break up easier as they're rising back through the column. Previous designs, older designs will actually drop it down into a bubble ring on the bottom that will have multiple vapor pipes dropping into it. And then you'll have a full circumference of small holes that are bubbling up. Honestly, it's a better design. It's just a little harder to make. Chamber two is fairly simple. It's basically the exact same thing as chamber three. The big difference here is we're going to have more volume. Uh, we're going to get all that additional reflux uh, coming up from chamber one. We're going to end up making it just a little bit taller. This is kind of replicating that tapered design. I end up adding about 10 inches for additional reflux coming into this chamber. So we're going to be at 37 and a half inches for chamber two. The design of the pipes are the same, external plumbing moving between chambers. Chamber two is about as simple as it gets.
Then when we get down to chamber one, chamber one is where we're injecting steam. How we're going to run the still really matters at this point in time. When we're running this size still, let's call it during heat up, which doesn't quite apply to these stills, but it gives you kind of a, a good basis to work with. We're going to inject a lot of steam in order to bring three chambers of beer and a thumper up from room temperature to 172. Typically, we're going to inject about 30 gallons of steam. Uh, steam is measured in pounds, but you can convert over to gallons. If we're talking a 60-gallon chamber, 30 gallons of steam is is a lot. It's not necessary to build that chamber all the way because we go through special heat up operations. So instead, what we need to look at is how we're actually going to be running the still. In a short run, let's say we're using this as a stripper. We're not doing a 90 minute run. We're going to do this as a 30 minute run. It takes about 10 minutes to bring the still back up to temperature after you've drained the pot ale and transferred everything down to the next level. It takes about two minutes to run the heads, about five minutes to run the hearts, about 12 minutes to run the tails. In that time period, we're going to end up dumping about seven gallons of steam down into our 63-gallon chamber. On the other hand, let's say we're doing this as a single pass still. Now we're going to run it for 90 minutes. Uh, we're going to run it, you know, about 20% of heat up, which means in that 90 minutes, we're going to put about nine gallons of steam in there. You know, the difference between nine and seven, not huge when we're talking 63 gallons. Design the still, say, hey... We're going to put you know, 75 gallons into this base. And then again, we need that 8-inch free height. The free height basically allows us to get the little bit of reflux in these stills. I mentioned it earlier, we need to have viewports in every chamber, preferably right next to the valve we're using to fill each chamber. So you can look in there and see and verify you're filling to the correct height each time. Just because it's a little bit more complicated, that visual indicator is really useful. Rather than fully draining a chamber, you never know. There might be whatever reason something's running a little different today and you have more liquid than you really want. Uh, once we've added all that liquid into the chamber one, it ends up being about 40 inches high. When we add all our chambers up, total still ends up being 12 feet. That's a little bit tall for a 63-gallon still. And, of course, as you get bigger, you can get wider. You don't necessarily have to get taller, although you will end up getting bigger. Uh, I believe the one here in Denver is 20 feet tall, uh, and it's certainly bigger than 63 gallons. So once we come out of the top of Chamber 3, we're actually going to flow over to a doubler. And this is all part of the recycling alcohol. So how do we design that doubler? Well, just like we talked about in Episode 1, we need to make sure we have at least one foot of liquid in here. We're going to be filling the doubler with the feints from our previous operation. And then when we're done with that operation, we're going to be draining the doubler over to Chamber 3. With a 63-gallon still, like I said, 10 to 11 gallons. So we're going to need to make our doubler about 20 inches tall, about 16 inches in diameter. That will allow us to get one foot of liquid and about one foot of airspace on the top of that as volume changes during operation. You want to make sure your doubler is set so that the top of it is even with the top of your still. You don't want to have to create a whole lot of reflux dropping down off the top of your still. It's very important that they're basically flush. Uh, the drain going over to chamber three either needs to be double valve or you need to have a trap in there so that no vapors from three can bubble over and get stuck in that leg during distillation. You want to make sure all the alcohol is on the alcohol path and you don't want to lose any of the liquid that you have in your thumper early and pull it out of the thumper path. So double valving is kind of the easiest way to do it. Uh, the traditional way of doing it is putting a trap in there so that we can make sure things don't flow in a direction they're not supposed to. So there's lots of good things about a three-chambered still. What may or may not be a good thing, depending on how you like to operate your still, is it takes a lot of work. 
you were constantly moving, running a three chambered still, as opposed to how you would be with a, you know, a set it and forget it continuous or even a pot still that once you get it dialed in, it kind of coasts along its, its path. If you're using a three chambered still as a stripping still, you're doing 30 minute operations. There's a lot of things that have to happen in that 30 minutes. And some of them you're basically just running for. So let's start operations at the beginning. The way we operate a, a three chamber still is we start off, we fill chambers two, three, and four completely full. We're going to drain half of chamber two down into chamber one. This gives us that volume to take that 30 gallons of steam, and it also decreases the total volume that we're going to be heating up to temperature. We turn on the steam, start running the still. Typically, we're looking, you know, four to five PSI of steam at this point. Uh, once we start getting alcohol out of the parrot, in other words, we are completely up to temperature, then we're going to drain chamber two the rest of the way down into chamber one. We're going to drop you know, three down. We're going to drop four down, refill four, and then fill the thumper. At this point, temperature is going to drop on the still, but not about as much as it would normally during a, a change in operation. This allows us to come to temperature faster with less liquid while still kind of moving forward and getting things accomplished. Once you've now got all your chambers full, thumper full, steam on, we run it as normal. What does normal really mean? Let's say we're at the end of the batch. What do you really do? So the first thing you're going to do is drain our pot ale out of chamber one. Typically, it's going to be pretty full. Now we're going to be doing 60 to 65 gallons, about a half percent alcohol. A lot of this is going to be the steam that we injected in here, uh, but obviously there's some residual, all the pot ale that you know, didn't move up out of the still. Then we're going to drain chamber one into chamber two. We're going to drain chamber three into chamber two. You need to drain the thumper into chamber three before you drain the wash from chamber four down. Uh, the reason we do this is you really want to maintain those faints as much as possible. That's already concentrated good alcohol. So we want to move that in. If for whatever reason this batch ended up with more alcohol liquid in that thumper, we want to make sure that moves over first. This is why we're using those sight glasses. Now we drain four down, make sure our overall level is correct. Then once that's done, we fill chamber four. Then we'll pump out our low wines, our faints back into the thumper and fill it up. That's just the valving and pumping the steam's kind of moving this whole time. It's a semi-continuous operation. So once you drop chamber two down into chamber one, you want it to be heating up and moving and, and having alcohol being produced. So this is a fairly quick process moving all those draining of chambers. Now, fairly quickly thereafter, like I said, about 10 minutes from when you click the, you know, once you start draining chamber two down into chamber one, we're going to start seeing alcohol coming across the still. If we're doing, you know, a stripping run, we got about two minutes before it's time to make the heads cut. We're going to be there sampling, making sure the flavor's correct and directing our heads into our low wines receiver. The 63 gallon still should get about three quarters of a gallon at about 55, 56% alcohol. Then we're going to flip over and make our cut to our hearts. Hearts are going to be about 10, 11 gallons, 65% alcohol, somewhere in that range. Then it's time to kick back. We're going to redirect our tails back into that low wines receiver, get 10 gallons of tails, about 60% alcohol, 65% alcohol. All those faints get set back up. At that point in time, once you've cut tails, uh, typically tails are cut at about 8% on the parrot. Then you're back at the beginning, draining and moving forward. The problem with this kind of operation is you don't really have the time to go over and get a fermentation kicked off. If you're using it, we're using that uh, schedule I just put out for a stripping run, it's hard for you to go over and monitor a second still. 
this is really one still takes all of your concentration. I kind of like it because it forces you to pay a lot more attention to what's going on with your still. You don't get that, I'm going to wander off and do paperwork, come back 30 minutes later, oh God, what happened? And so I like having you there and paying attention. I like me being there and paying attention. The downside is doing this, now it's one person, one still, and you need a second or a third person to really get your distillery up and running. And if you've got three people working your distillery, you're probably hoping to make more than one barrel in an eight-hour shift. Really, the 60-gallon still isn't practical in the world, but we can use a lot of the the ideas from it. Scaling up is real easy. You know, 125 is kind of the, the minimum size I see built because now you're building two barrels in an eight-hour shift. That can pay for the additional distillery labor you need. Kind of works out. But hopefully you guys had as much fun listening to uh, this talk about how to make rye whiskey as I did putting it together. Hit me up, like I said, at Distiller Dude on Twitter. I'm happy to talk about stuff. And who knows, our conversation may end up as the next episode. Have a good week. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Booze Works Podcast. If you have a topic or question you'd like us to focus on for a future podcast, send us an email to podcast at boozeworks.com. Happy crafting and cheers. Cheers.